All right, so this is the point where usually I ask if anybody's had a conversation like that, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble, so we'll just move on, right? We're in this series, it's not about the nail, called Perfect Family. This series, Perfect Family, we've been talking about this concept of the fact that we know, kind of in our minds, and uh, just it, we know what a family is supposed to look like. We know what a family is supposed to act like. We know what a family is supposed to have to relate to one another. But yet, we find ourselves in reality and realize that that's not what's happening. We've talked about this concept of the ideal that we see in Scripture and in hearing in church and talking about among everyone else that we're kind of around versus this concept of what is real. And there may not be an area where that is more true than the area of conflict. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a conflict in your family? If you're not raising your hand right now, you're lying, all right? You can get them up, all right? Everybody has had conflict, right? In fact, conflict is such a natural part of relationships and a family in particular that... um, People that study marriages and those kind of things say that the determination of how a marriage is going to last or not can best be seen not in whether a couple has conflict, but in how they handle the conflict that they have. Here's the thing that is different about conflict in families, though. Conflict in families, the results and the consequences are different than anywhere else. Because the truth is, if you win in conflict in your family, you don't win anything. Right? I mean, if you win an argument in a court, guess what? You, you win. If you win an argument at work or a proposal at work and yours wins, you win. But in family, the dynamics are such that if you win an argument, you don't win anything. And we all handle it differently. I mean, conflict is just there, but we all handle the conflict differently. In fact, I saw this week um, kind of ways people handle conflict. I'm going to put them up on the screen. And uh, I would ask you to raise your hand, but uh, maybe just have somebody next to you tell you what you are. All right. But here are the five. All right. There there are five kind of things. And this, this wouldn't necessarily encompass everyone, but it gets most of us. First of all, there's the peacemaker. That is, as soon as the conflict starts, come on, we, got, we, don't need, we don't need to be arguing, we don't need to be fighting, everything's good, you don't have to worry about that. Let's just, you know, settle down, everybody just be nice, you know, we're good, we're, everything's good here, let's just kind of, you know, y'all know some peacemakers? Yeah, quit, y'all are acting like y'all don't know any of Y'all know peacemakers? Yeah, you know some, all right? Then there's the sulker, you know what I mean? That as soon as it starts, they just, you know, sulk. You, are you good? I'm good. You don't sound I'm good. I'm good. And they, they just sulk. You, you know, you know those people. Yeah. Then there's the stuffer. You know what the stuffer is, right? What do they do? They stuff it all in. They don't talk about it. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Just let's just move on. Let's just don't talk about it. They were fine. We'll just move on. It'll be okay. Let's just go. I'm, I'm done with it. We're going on and we're moving on. All right. Then you've got the litigator. This is the person that never loses an argument. You feel like when you get into an argument with them, you have stepped into a Perry Mason or Law and Order episode. 
Evidence starts to mount. Cross-examination is going. You say an innocent word, and the next thing you know, you feel like you're on the witness stand, and you're about to be put away. All right? Anybody know any litigators? And they're the kind that you say, you're never wrong, and they will... No, no, there was a time back... You, you remember, there was a time. They'll bring some evidence up, all right? And then you've got the screamer. You know what screamers are, right? The conflict starts, and what do they do? The volume raises immediately. And here's one of the interesting things that happens, all right? A lot of times, people that grow up in a family of screamers, I mean, screamers generally, they yell, they get real loud, and then they're done. And when they're done, everybody's good. They're done, right? And so they grew up in a house like that. A lot of times, they will marry one of the first three, the peacemaker or the sulker or the stuffer. And the first time they get in an argument and the screaming happens, the person is like, whoa, demon be gone. What has happened to you? Right? You're like, well, we got to get it out. We got to work it out. We got to get it. Let's go. Like, here's the thing we all handle it differently. In fact, sometimes in different situations, you may be kind of a combination of those. But what if I were to tell you today that no matter how you handle conflict, every conflict has the exact same source? They may look different, you may react differently. But every conflict has the same source. I'm not the one that has said that. I'm not the one that came up with that. I'm not smart enough to do that. But there was a guy in the Bible by the name of James. Now, who is James in the Bible? Brother of Jesus, right? He did not become a believer until after Jesus' resurrection. And then he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which became the fastest growing church in the early Christian movement. He was their pastor, if you will. And James asked this question at the beginning of chapter 4. And it's just a simple question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? This is another time when I'm not going to have you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, what causes fights and quarrels among us? Right? Because we would see evidence very shortly of which of those five you might be. Right? Because if you said, hey, hey, just, you know, if you turn to the person that came to church with you today, your spouse or your, your family or your friend or whatever, and you say, hey, what causes fights among us? You know what's going to happen pretty quickly? They may tell you. That's right. And fingers are going to start pointing both ways. Well, I can tell you right now, if you would just, or I know, if this is what you do that drives me up the wall. Well, you, what you do, and before long, you are back and forth, right? And I prefer to finish the sermon sometime soon. And so we're not going to do that. But James tells us in chapter 4 of his book that there is a single cause to it all. And what we want to do is we don't want to focus on the cause. We don't want to focus on the one thing that is at the root of it all. We just want to get out what we think is causing it. And it almost always involves blaming someone else. My wife, she just, she just nags me all the time about that. And it just, it just bugs me when she does that. Or she sulks around the house. Well, my husband, if he, he just, when he gets home, all he wants to do is sit. Not do anything. He doesn't try anymore at work. He's not looking for anything else. And he knows we can't survive on what he's got. And my kids, they just leave stuff everywhere. If they would just pick up after themselves, that's all it would take. And before long, 
when we start thinking about answering that question, what causes fights and quarrels among you, when we start thinking about it in our mind, even as you're thinking about it in your mind, you can mentally see the fingers beginning to point at other people. Can I tell you something real quickly? As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will never be happy. As long as you are blaming other people for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. So how does James answer that question? Well, here's what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You see, when we answer that question, we almost always point to somebody else, to something else, to some external question, to something out there, to something that is not us. And yet James says, you want to know what is the source of all fights, the source of all quarrels? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it's over. It doesn't matter how long it's been going. The source of it all is you. That there is a battle going on within you. There is something that is waging war inside of you. And as it's waging war inside of you, it spills out of you into the people and into the areas around you. The conflict within is spilling out. Now let me just tell you something. Just even recognizing that on your part will begin to bring the temperature down in relational difficulties and squabbles and disagreements and arguments and quarrels almost immediately. He goes on in James 4.2 to say this. You desire, but do not have. He says at the essence, the cause of every quarrel and strife and fighting and argument is a desire for something inside of you that you do not have. And then he says this, so you kill. Let me ask you real quickly, who is James writing to here? Who's James writing to? The church, right? A lot of people think that this is actually James' collection of sermons. And so this is to church people. This is not to death row inmates that have committed murder. So what does he mean by kill here? Because he uses a very specific word. In fact, he uses the same word that would have been used to describe the Ten Commandments. You know, the do not murder. Same word. You desire so you don't have, so you kill. Here's what it means. There is a war raging inside of you with your desires and your wants and what you think are your needs. And when they go unmet and you don't have what you want, you lash out at the people closest to you and you harm them. Parents who have something inside of them that they want lash out at their children. Husbands lash out at their wives. Wives lash out at their husbands. There's something inside of you, some need that you may met, something you want to happen, that it's not happening. And as a result, you put expectations and you put requirements on those around you. James is basically saying here, and he's writing to a church, that when you have this inner war that is not settled, what happens is you are willing to hurt 
the people that are closest to you. And haven't we seen this? Don't we know this? You know a place that I see this a lot of times, just in kind of life stage of where, where we are with our kids, is in competitive things that kids are involved in. Like sports or ballet, dance competition. When mothers and fathers will make fools of themselves in the stands trying to help their child or the coach or the umpire. You ever seen a dad get a little out of hand on a baseball field? Not on the field, like in the stands, his son's on the field. Why? Because... There's something that wants him, for whatever reason, that his son really has to be good. He wants him to do his best. And sometimes we'll couch it in terms of, I I just want them to reach their full potential. I just want them to be their absolute best. And I understand that that desire sounds like you're doing something for them, but the truth is there's something within you that is lacking that needs them to do that as well. A husband and wife who get married and... Before they get married, you know, it's hearts over their head every time they see each other. Love, love, love. And then they know there's some things. There's some habits. There's some attitudes. There's something. But that's okay. We'll work all that out after we get married. Right? No, that's not, that's not going to happen. There's this thing inside of you that is grasping for your heart, for your desire, then when you say things like, hey, listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to get them at their best. I'm, I'm just trying to push them to do better. I just want something better for them. And what you have to be careful of is that you're fussing and you're arguing and you're belittling and you're nagging and the notes you write and the suggestions you give and the punishments you dole out. The whole time you're thinking it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, when in reality there's something in you it's you. It's you. It's you. James 4.2 goes on. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. So you have arguments and disagreements that it all stems from something that you're not getting that you want, but you can't admit that. In fact, you want to know the truth. There is a phrase that could help to begin to diffuse a lot of arguments and conflicts, but we do not want to say it. And it's this. You know what part of the problem is here? Do you know what part of the issue is here? I'm not getting what I want. Anybody ever said that in an argument? No. Not really. I mean, don't you? I mean, can you imagine being in an argument? I mean, some of you, you may have, have a lot of imagining. Some of you are like, imagine that was happening this morning, all right? You know those arguments, not, not like the where are we going to go to lunch and nobody wants to decide and so you sit in the car for 30 minutes. I'm talking about like a real, like, argument, like really worked up, you're really upset about something. You want to know what the problem is here? Do you want to know what it is? It is that I'm not getting what I need. We're going to practice that. Okay, now here's what I need. I'm not going to make you say it to your spouse because some of you just are not ready for that. You're not even ready to have the words come out of your mouth, but we're going to work on it. All right. And I'm going to need some Oscar worthy performances here today. 
For some of you, that's because to even say it is going to require an Oscar-worthy performance. But I want you to imagine you're in the midst of an argument. Okay? I want you to, I want your hand, to think about your hands pointing, that finger, you know, some, some of you are one-finger pointers. Some of you get both barrels out going at it, all right? I want you to think about that article, I mean, that, that argument really going. You, 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 you're stressed, you're on the edge, you can't break. And then right then you're going to say, part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. All right, y'all going to do that with me? Yes, you are. Okay, good. So I'm going to count to three, and you're going to say what's on the screen, okay? All right? One, two, three, all right? You know what part of the problem is right now? I'm not getting what I want. All right? Now, listen, some of you said that like you're still mad at the person. I'm not getting what I want. All right, it's not a screamer death metal song, all right? I mean, some of you are into that. That's all right. I'm just saying that's not what it is. All right? It's amazing how it will begin to bring the temperature down. Now, let me tell you to guard against something right now. Some of you right now are thinking, boy, I hope my husband is listening to this. I, I got to get this tape. My kids have got to hear this. Why, why are they in ETC today? They need to be up here. They need to be in this room. They need to be lit, right? That's kind of the point, right? It's not about them. It's about you. You see, this is the issue. Especially in a family, you take two individuals and you put them together and you bring every single issue within those two people into a marriage. I mean, when you're single, you can, you can design your whole existence around you. You don't like your roommate? Move out. Get a new job. Go to a new city. It can be all about you. And when you get married, you come with that all about me mentality into the family. And then you start having kids and it's all about them. And before you know it, you've got kids and parents and husbands and wives all trying to figure out how to get what they want. And when they don't get what they want, because not everybody can get what they want, fights break out and it's all about everybody else. Uh, I listened to a pastor this week who... uh, was talking about the expectations that come with being a pastor and all the things people think you have to be good at. There's a national survey that it's somewhere around 50 to 60 things that people think their pastor ought to be really good at. And he said one of those things is marital counseling. And he said, I am terrible at it. This pastor said that when people would come in, he said literally two minutes into them describing what was going on in their marriage, I would go, hey, hey, I got this figured out. I'm done. He said, people don't like you to do that. They've spent months trying to figure it out. You go, i got to figure it out. They don't want to hear that. He said, but one of the things that he did, he said, I was convinced would work that never worked, was he said, I would get them together after they didn't like my idea. Then I would say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And he said, I would take a big piece of paper and I would draw a circle on it. He said, let's imagine for a minute that this circle represents every problem you have in your marriage. Every difficulty that you have in your marriage. Let's imagine for a minute that this circle represents every problem in your marriage. What I want you to do is to take a pencil and to draw a slice, however big or little it is, that is your fault. He said nobody ever drew a slice. 
He said he would sit across from them. He said, especially if they were in the room together, this was like a couple's counseling, and they would just stare there and go, whenever you want to go, you go ahead. He said, in fact, he took a couple one time and he said, listen, I'll do this for you. I will say, I will take the blame for 95% of your problems. And so I will take the blame for 95% of what the issue is here. I just want to know, will each of you take 2.5%? And they just stared at him. You know why? He said that he used to tell people, when you claim a slice, you got to play nice. The idea is when you admit that part of it is your fault, you have to take responsibility for the part that is your fault. It takes your leverage out of the argument. Litigators are never going to give away their leverage. Screamers aren't giving away their leverage. Even sulkers and stuffers and peacemakers aren't giving away that leverage. Some of you right now are going, you're on it, Pastor. You know it, that that I could never say to my spouse, I'm not getting what I want because it puts me in a vulnerable position. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you don't understand my situation. I mean, he promised. She promised. He took a vow before the church and God and everybody. I deserve. You want and you do not have. So you fight. Some of you say, well, but, but that's not fair. <laughs> they're not here. They're not going to do this. It's not fair. You know, we have, to, as, we have to be real careful how we play the fair card, right? You ever notice that you only claim it's not fair when it works out against you, not for you? Like, you know, when you drive up to Opry Mills and you've got to run in for something and you drive in and right as you drive in, somebody's pulling out of that first spot right there by the main entrance and you drive right in, even though you know there's probably been somebody driving around for like 20 minutes. You don't sit there and go, oh, I'm so sorry. This is so unfair. You're like, praise Jesus that you opened up a parking spot for me right now. I am so thankful, right? Someone has said that fair ended when Eve took the bite in the garden. And here's how he ends James 4, that verse, that long verse, verse 2. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. Now think about what we've talked about. He says that all quarrels, all fighting comes because there's something inside of you that's warring. You have a desire. You don't have it filled. You covet, but you can't have it, so you fight and quarrel. And he says, the reason you don't have is because you're going to the wrong place. You don't have because you don't ask God. It's almost like James is looking at him and go, listen, if there's something you need, if there's something you want, if there's something you desire, if there's something that you want to see changed in your husband and your wife and your children and your parents, if there's something you want to see changed, why do you keep going to them? Go to the one who is in control of all. You don't have because you don't ask God. Ask him. You think your husband needs a better job? He needs to provide better for your family? Then go to the Lord and pray about it. You think your son needs to get better friends because the ones that he has are dragging him down? Then go to the Lord and pray about it. You're ready for your daughter to dump that idiot boyfriend she has? You know telling her that's not going to work, right? 
You go to the Lord. Talk to Him about it. Lord, I know you created Him, but something must have happened that day. I don't know. I don't know what. You didn't spend a little more time on Him. I know. You go to the Lord. Here's what's interesting. If there's something that you desperately want or need, then your issue is not with the people around you. It's with God Almighty. And if you're not willing to take it to Him, then that means either you don't really want it or need it, or you know it's not something that lines up with His will. And it's okay to go to the Lord in anger or disgust about what you don't have and leave it there as long as you're willing to hear His answer and be okay with whatever it is. This is what James continues on. He says, not after that, when you ask, you don't receive. We have to be willing to hear God say no. God, I need for my husband to get a better job and he's provide better for my family. I need that. And God says, no, or not yet, or not now. He says, you ask because you ask with the wrong motives. And the reason that you're asking is for you, that you may spend it on you. Here's the thing. When you become willing to claim your slice of the pie, when you become willing to claim that and you begin to take that to the Lord over and over, this is about me, this is about a desire I have, this is about a want that's in me that I need to get fulfilled. When you begin to take that to the Lord, you know what you begin to realize? Is that the slice of the pie that is your fault is actually much bigger than you expected. And as you do that and you take it to the Lord, your will and your heart and your desire begins to be changed because you are going to the one that can do something about it. When you have desires that are unmet, when you have wants that are unmet, take it to the Lord. Don't take it out on everybody else. That's what we do most of the time. I mean, ask yourself this question. Who really suffers when I don't get what I want? Because most of us have structured our lives to the fact that when we don't get what we want, we don't suffer. Other people do. And usually it's the people that are nearest and dearest and closest to us that suffer. So here's the question. As we think about this and we think about what's kind of going on, we think about what James says. The simple question is, are you willing to claim even a portion of of your slice of that pie. I had you practice saying that part of it is I'm not getting what I want. I had you practice last week or I told you last week to start asking, you know, daily, how can I help? Is there any way I can help? I had somebody tell me in the first service, your name is not very good in our house right now because we've actually been asking that. This week, I'm wondering if you'll be willing to think about the people in your life that suffer the most when you don't get what you want. And would you be willing to tell them, I'm sorry, part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. And that's not necessarily your fault. And are you willing to take that to the Lord? Let's pray.